Well, hey there, church. It is so good to be able to be with you in this moment, whenever that may be, and to share uh, this message with you. But for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Frank Lucas. I am one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church. And before we get into the message today, I just really want to take a moment and to celebrate something with all of you. This past week, we had our annual Summer Challenge Week, and some of you may not know what that is, so I'll fill you in real quick. It is an annual summer camp that we host every year where kids get to come and hear the gospel presented uh, for them uh, in an age-specific way, something at their level where they can come and hear the word of God but also experience the love of God. And, And while this year it may have looked a little bit different than it has in years past, for sure, like everything else does nowadays, it really did turn out to be a pretty awesome week. We had just over 80 kids focusing on God and taking a closer look at his love for them. And this year, because kids couldn't come to us, we had to go to them. And as a result of that, something awesome happened. We had the opportunity to minister not just to 80 kids in our community, but also to their families as well. You see, what I love about this is this idea that what the enemy meant for evil, God made work for his good. And that is just something worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. So with that, let's pray for this morning's gathering as we get ready to dive into God's word. Father, we thank you for uh, this moment. We thank you for the opportunities that you are presenting us, even though uh, at times they may not feel like opportunities. Lord, you are at work in us and through us and around us. You are, you are doing good things right now, and we just give you thanks for that. Lord, we thank you that you've stirred in the hearts and minds of little ones and their families throughout this past week, and trust that you will continue to do so in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. Father, that the seeds that have been planted will take root and they will grow. And so, Father, we thank you now for the work that you are doing. Lord, we trust it will be immeasurably more than we could ever dare ask. So, Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, that we would be open and receptive to you, that you would be our primary teacher today. We ask for your blessing on this time, and we pray these things in your Son, in the name of your Son, by whom all things are possible. Amen. All right. Well, amen. Over the last few weeks, we've taken a little bit of a break from our What About series Uh, which is an in-depth look at the Sermon on the Mount, to spend some time looking at a particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer. That little series, or mini-series, if you will, was called Deeper Still. It was a four-week series, and if you haven't had a chance to tune in for the whole thing, or maybe you missed a week or two, I really, really, really want to encourage you to head back, uh, go to the website, communitycovenant.church, and head over to the watch page and dive in. And listen to them. It's some really, really good content, and we think it'll be fruitful for you. Now, as we dive back into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a quick refresher, real quick here. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' inaugural address, his inaugural sermon, if you will, arguably the most famous passage of Scripture, uh, the most famous of all of his teachings. Jesus lays out for us uh, what it's like to be a kingdom citizen. He describes for us in some pretty significant detail, not what we should do to get into the kingdom of heaven, but rather what our lives could and should look like as a result of surrendering our lives over 
to him. What our lives would look like when we trade our desires for his desires, when we lay down our will for his, when we submit to his kingship and his kingdom and lay down our own. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is broken down into a few different sections. First, we have kind of the scene is set in Matthew 5, 1 and 2, and then we have the Beatitudes. Then we have a mission statement, if you will, for us, or a purpose statement that we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus then goes on to describe or talk in greater detail about the law of Moses. He then goes on to talk about some basic spiritual practices, and, and I love that. We, he talks in Matthew 6 about living generously. He goes on to talk about prayer and, and give us an example of what prayer could and should look like. He then talks about forgiveness, which is going to be the focus of today's teaching, and then next week we're going to talk, talk about fasting a little, and then he wraps all of that up uh, with, followed with this, um, he wraps all of it up with an opportunity, if you will, to, to respond. An exhortation, perhaps, to live your life as a kingdom citizen. Like, so now that you know all this, which way are you going to go? This way or this way? What are you going to build your house on, the sand or on the rock? But as I've been studying and as I've been preparing, uh, really throughout the entire series, one thing that I've noticed that has stood out to me um, in the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a lot there, there's so much content here, is that Jesus not once does he go back to repeat himself, but in one instance. Like he doesn't go back to repeat anything but one time. And that's to expound upon this idea of forgiveness. Isn't that interesting? I find that to, to be something fascinating. Now in the Lord's Prayer, one of the petitions of that prayer is this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, and it says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here Jesus is talking about sin, and we're going to talk about the term debt and debtors uh, a little bit in a couple of minutes here. But after that prayer, what Jesus does in verses 14 and, 50 is he, 14 and 15 is he goes on to say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, it's a different word, you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Out of everything Jesus has shared to this point, the one thing he chooses to go back and explain further is around the area of forgiveness. Is it because it's more important than anything else? I don't think so. You see, when you go through the Sermon on the Mount, it's all pretty important. There's nothing that I would pull out of there, particularly in the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, that's pretty important. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's all really important stuff. I skipped over one line because we're talking about it. But it's all really important. So if it's all important, why then does Jesus go back to repeat it and to expound on it? Two reasons from what I can see and what I, what I think. Arguably, at least for me, is it's the hardest part. It's the hardest part. It's the one we probably struggle with the most. For me, I'm going to be honest with you, it's easier for me to submit to God's will and to his kingdom and to lay down my own than it is to forgive others. 
And I think the second reason is this, because Jesus wants to drive home the idea that our relationship with him, with God the Father, and our relationship with others, they're not disconnected from one another, but rather they are interconnected. Our relationship with God should influence our relationship with others. Now, there are two dimensions to your life. Now, this is true for everyone, regardless of where you stand in your faith journey uh, this morning. This could be the first time you've ever heard uh, any scripture or a sermon or anything like this. This is true for you. There are two dimensions in your life. There is the vertical, up and down, and then there is the horizontal, out, side to side. The vertical deals with your relationship with God, and forgiveness is at the very core of that relationship. There is a debt, there is that word again, Uh, because of sin, because of your brokenness, that needs to be paid. There is a vertical relationship taking place. But then there's a horizontal relationship as well. And this deals with your relationship with other people. This is going out. And if we're honest, sometimes as Christians, we can think that it's really just about our relationship with God, right? We talk about, oh yeah, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And while that's true, there's a little bit more to it than that. Just as important is our relationship with others. Yes, you heard me right. Just as important is our relationship with others. I believe this is precisely what Jesus is getting at here. This is precisely what he's getting at in Matthew 22 when he's questioned about the greatest commandment. And he goes on to quote Moses and he says, oh yeah, no problem. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. With every bit of who you are, you are to love God And equally as important is to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus goes on to say, love God, love others. You cannot separate them. They are connected. This is important. So let's go back to the term debt for a second. Debt and debtors. These are financial terms, as you may have guessed. They were financial terms back then. And they're terms that Jesus used uh, specifically to talk about sin. Now, to us today, these terms may not bear much significance, even though they're pretty familiar. Today, the average American, get this, excluding a mortgage and vehicle, carries about $38,000 in personal debt. Excluding a mortgage and excluding a car, the average American has about $38,000 in personal debt. That's, that's horrifying. Debt has become something we're comfortable with, and as a result, we can lose some of the significance of what Jesus is actually getting at here. Now, while I don't want to minimize your financial struggle, I don't want to minimize my financial struggle and some of the things that I wrestle with, uh, the reality is this. The, the way debt was handled as a first century Jew in antiquity is very different than the way it's handled today. Debt then was punishable by imprisonment. And you'd be imprisoned until your debt was paid in full. Having a debt meant that you were not free. Having debt meant your life was not your own. You were at the mercy of the one carrying your debt. You see, what I think Jesus is doing here is helping us see and understand there is a significant weight to our sin. He's helping us understand that our sin is equivalent to a debt that we owe. That we are to be held accountable for it and that we are not free until this debt has been paid, until it has been forgiven. 
But then what does Jesus do? In verses 14 and 15, we see the word trespasses, and in some translations, we see just simply the word sin. And I can't help but think that Jesus does this really to clear up any confusion that could exist. And he's done this a couple times, if you will, throughout the Sermon on the Mount at this point. I imagine if I was sitting there, all right, I'm, I'm one of Jesus's, the, knowing my temperament and my personality, if I'm sitting in the crowd and I hear Jesus teach, and he's talking about uh, forgive us our debt as we forgive, those, uh, forgive our debtors, I'd be thinking, all right, cool. Well, I don't have any debt, so I'm good, all right? And what does Jesus do? He's like, hey, listen, just in case you thought I was talking about money and you completely missed the point of pretty much everything I've talked about at this point, I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about your brokenness. We're not talking about finances here. So he goes on to expound on it a little bit. I'm talking about a debt that you could never, ever, ever repay on your own. Now, if we're not careful and we look at these few verses here, okay, and we look at them in isolation, we might actually begin to misunderstand Scripture. We might begin to misunderstand and begin to think that God's forgiveness is contingent upon something we do here, that it's something that is earned by forgiving others. And so I I just kind of want to take a time out, if you will, and be abundantly clear with you that this is not what this passage of Scripture is saying. There isn't any part of the Sermon of the Mount, or any Scripture really, where Jesus says, do this and you are in. You will not find it. And if someone tries to tell you otherwise, it's heresy. That That is not biblical. To truly understand what God is saying, what the word of God is, uh, it's important that we look at the word in its entirety, that we go through the entire counsel of God, okay? That we don't look at a word in isolation, that we don't look at a verse in isolation, but rather we see what does God's word in its entirety have to say about something. And when we study forgiveness and we study sin, when we look at the entire counsel of God, what we see is that forgiveness comes not by anything we do, but rather by what Jesus Christ alone has done for us. I could list countless references here for you, but there's two for good measure. Ephesians 1, verse 7, and it says this. In him, who's him? Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood. That's the cross. The forgiveness of our trespasses, there's the same word again, according to the riches of his what? His grace. Something we don't deserve. Then in Acts, another passage we could look at, it says this, let it be known to who? To you, therefore, you always have to ask, what is therefore, therefore, brothers, that through this man, again, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. It's shared with you on your behalf. And by him, everyone who believes is free from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. See, it's nothing that we do, but rather what's been done for you. Over the last year, we've all heard a phrase, uh, fruit and goals, quite a bit. It's one that Pastor Greg has shared with us, one that I've really latched onto quite a bit. I, I love this idea that we often confuse fruit and goals. You see, the goal here, both vertically and horizontally, The goal with God and with others is not forgiveness. That's the fruit. Forgiveness is the fruit. Forgiveness both received 
and forgiveness both extended towards others is the fruit of a life changed by Christ, by nothing else. Now, a question that I've been asked a lot over the years, particularly by students, is this. Hey, Pastor Frank, if, if someone refuses to forgive someone, does that mean that they're not welcome in the kingdom of heaven? Does that mean that God will turn them away? Like, what if something really bad, like it's atrocious, like murder or rape, or there's some sort of abuse, or maybe trafficking, I don't, I, like, and they just go on the list, all these awful, awful, awful things. I usually pause for a moment. And I respond and I say two things. Well, one, I'm not God, so I can't answer this question accurately because it's not for me to answer. And then I'll go on usually to expound and say, but what I found in the word of God is this. If someone refuses to, to forgive someone, it may, and I, and I stress this, it may be evidence that they themselves have not truly been forgiven by God. Not because God hasn't forgiven them, but rather because they haven't received that forgiveness. They're not truly a life changed by Christ. They may say they have the love of God in them, but they haven't yet received it. You see, because when we've been forgiven by God of our sins, there is nothing left for us but to forgive others who have sinned against us. But herein lies the problem, right? Far too often, we fail to realize the significance of our sin. You see, I know that sometimes when I share some of the feedback that I get uh, sometimes after a message is that I can uh, sometimes share some things that are a little hard to hear and that I can maybe lay it on a little thick, if you will. That I should maybe focus a bit more on the grace and a little less on the problem. And while I think there are times when I've been hard, what I truly believe is this. Even though we don't want to hear it, sometimes, if not all the time, we need to. We need to be reminded of our brokenness. It should make us uncomfortable. If it doesn't, we've become desensitized to the things that break the heart of God. You see, it's in, it's in our weakness that God has made strong. It's in our self-awareness of our brokenness that we see his glory for all that it is. If we fail to realize the greatness of our sin, we will then fail to realize the greatness of God's forgiveness. That's something you might want to jot down, take a screenshot, whatever. This is, this is important. When we fail to realize the greatness of our sin, we will then fail to realize the greatness of God's forgiveness. Now, church, the consequence of unforgiveness is pretty significant. We think we're withholding something from the other person. To, to a certain degree, we are but we're also hurting ourselves. It's uh, kind of cliche, but it's like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Any Princess Bride fans out there? I was going to show the clip, but, right? Like Vicini, 
and he's sitting there, ha, 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 and then he croaks, right? Like he's waiting for the other guy to die, and then he dies, right? Like that's, that's kind of what it's like. The prisoner, hear, hear this, the prisoner bound by the chains of unforgiveness is not the person in need of forgiveness, but rather the one reluctant to let go and extend grace. We're hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. Listen to this. How are we, church, hear me on this. How are we supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world if we're behind bars? Like, How are we supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world if we are chained by our unforgiveness? You just can't do it. Now, here's another quote on unforgiveness that I found from Gail Irwin uh, on the topic, and I, I love this imagery. He says, until we understood germs, the unwashed hands of a surgeon guaranteed death for half of his patients. Unforgiveness on our part is like having unwashed hands in our ministry towards others. We only spread disease. Do you think the surgeons were walking around with the intention of hurting others? Of course not. It was done in ignorance. You see, when we minister to others and live in community with dirty hands, riddled with, stained with unforgiveness, all we're doing is spreading disease to other people. You see, all we're doing is muddying the water. When people look closely at a follower of Christ as someone who proclaims to have the gospel in them, the love of God in them, as someone who proclaims to be a Christian, what should the world see? They should see the gospel in its entirety, not bits and pieces that are convenient. They should see a life that reflects the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a few quick points I want to make be, before we start to close out here. The first of which is this. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. You cannot have reconciliation without forgiveness, so you can't have this without this, but you can have this without that. So if you're listening to audio, you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness, but you can have forgiveness without reconciliation. Should we work towards reconciliation? Should we work towards restoration? Absolutely. That's another sermon. In fact, that's probably another sermon series for another time. Forgiving someone does not mean that everything goes back to the way it was, as if nothing ever happened. That's not true. Don't let people tell you that. Forgiveness is something we are commanded, though, to do regardless of the other person. Why? Because Jesus first forgave us. Reconciliation on the other hand, what does it do? It requires two parties, or more than that, perhaps. It requires these parties to be involved. Typically, lots of time, lots of effort, and most importantly, it requires the work of the Holy Spirit, and we may see it, we may not see it. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. The second point is this. Forgiveness does not condone the behavior. Forgiveness does not condone what happened. It doesn't mean that you have to pretend like you were not hurt. 
It doesn't mean you have to pretend like there's no pain or no scars. In fact, in Genesis, Joseph gives us a great example of this. When he sees his brothers who left him for dead years earlier, what does he say to them? He says, what you meant for evil, God made work for good. When you beat me up, when you threw me in the well, when you were going to leave me for dead and then saw an opportunity to make a quick buck and sell me as a slave to which my life, believe it or not, actually got worse for many years and years and years. When you did all that, when you did that evil, God made it work for good. You see, it's okay to acknowledge the pain. It's okay to acknowledge the hurt. And truth be told, there could be scars from some of this. Scars that you, you wear for the rest of your life, but that does not mean forgiveness is optional because it is not. So bottom line, church, here's what, here's what we need to know. It all boils down to this. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Let me say that again. Forgiven people are forgiving people. We are called to, one, be forgiven by God, and two, as a result, we are called to forgive others. I've been forgiven by God, and therefore I can, and in fact, I must forgive others. Now, there are two things that need to happen for forgiven people to become a forgiving people. Are you ready? This is, this is pretty profound. Number one, forgiven people need to actually be forgiven. You get that? Forgiven people need to actually be forgiven. And number two, forgiving people actually need to forgive people. So you probably thought that I was going to share some sort of profound thought, but yet in its simplicity, I would argue it is pretty profound. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? No one could really say why he ran away. I'm going to share with you a story. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he was kicked out. But regardless, this young man found himself wandering the streets of Spain. The dad searched and he searched with no luck. Pretty much gave up all hope. His hope for reuniting with his son dwindled with the setting of the sun day in and day out. Until one day he decided to put an ad as a last ditch effort in the local paper. Yeah, this is the days before digital media. And the ad said something like this. Dear son, meet me at noon on Saturday in front of this newspaper office. All has been forgiven. I love you. Your father. That's it. That was the message. It was that simple. That Saturday came a couple of days later. And the father was walking to that place 
where he said in, uh, his son to meet him, where he hoped his son would meet him. And as he turned the corner to that newspaper office, what did he see? Not just his son, but he saw 800 young boys standing, crowding all around, waiting for the forgiveness, to receive the forgiveness of their father. Something they had only hoped for, something they had only dreamt of. You see, for some of you, you've been maybe holding something back. I don't know what it is, but, but in this moment, you do. Your Heavenly Father does. So today, I want to invite you to be like the young boy going back to his father. And it starts with acknowledging the very real need for forgiveness in the very first place. Acknowledging that there is a debt to be paid that you simply cannot pay on your own. It needs to be paid for you. But thankfully... Thankfully, church, God wrote a note for you, and it goes something like this. For God loved you so much that he sent his son for you to die for you so that if you believed in him, you would have life eternal with him, that your sins would be forgiven. That is the note that our Heavenly Father writes to us. And he's just waiting, waiting for you. Are you going to meet him at the cross? Are you going to meet him there? He sent his son for you to be a sacrifice for you, to pay the debt that you couldn't pay. And he says, all has been forgiven. And that is some good, good news, church. So the question remains, will you meet him at the cross?